If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We are continuing in our series uh, that is called Glory. All right, now the idea of this series uh, is that when I, when I look at followers of Jesus, whether that's in the Bible or specifically in countries around the world right now that uh, are, are persecuted and there's things like that going on, uh, when I look at them and I compare the faith that they have and the way that they seem to live versus the way that I live right now in 2023 in America, Minnesota, Long Prairie, I just see more discrepancies between the way that I live and they live than what I think I probably should see. There seems to just be things that I, I, I just live differently, and I'm not saying this necessarily in a positive light. Uh, and so we've kind of talked about this over the last few weeks uh, of, of what this is. And so this has led us to just asking the question, why? Why do we live so differently um, from people that we read about in the book of Acts and the early church and even people that we hear about now, why do I live so differently from the believers in Turkey that when the prayer request time comes, their prayer request is simply, let Jesus shine through us? Why is there that difference there? Um, and this is something that I'm just, I'm not okay with. I'm not satisfied with the fact that there is such a big difference. There seems to be something that is missing in my life, something that I'm not doing or something that I just have taken for granted. I'm not sure what it is. Um, and so what kind of seems to be the heart of some of this is that in the fact uh, that in, in America, we have all of our needs met. We live at a level of wealth that most people won't know. We have safety and protections that others don't. And we are free to worship God without the government ever stepping in. All right? And some of these can be great things. I'm not saying that these are all bad, but it also means that I don't have to rely on God for my daily bread. I simply don't. Because I have my weekly bread sitting on the countertop and I have my monthly bread in the freezer. That's just the way that we live. Like, I don't have to be so dependent on God. And I, I think that we need to figure out what the balance in this needs to be. You know, I have freedom to worship God, but that means that I am not dealing with persecution that would actually cause me to strengthen my resolve and to stand firm. Last week, we talked about one uh, of our purposes in life is to bring God glory through our lives, but how, how we often allow pride to kind of creep in and how we want to share in God's glory. Like when something happens where God's going to get glory, we almost want to be like, God, can I just stand on the edge of the spotlight here? Like I don't need to be in the middle of it. But can I stand on the edge and just get a little bit of this glory as well for what I'm doing and, and the role that I'm playing? And uh, pride is a nasty thing that shows up in all sorts of ways. And I would feel comfortable saying that I think every person in here deals with pride in some sort of a way. And it may not be the same way as the person next to you. And it may not be the classic way that you think of pride. We went through some different ideas last week of, of kind of seven or eight areas where I think pride really shows up uh, in people's lives. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and catch that. Uh, but even just things like being a people pleaser, that can stem from pride. Having fear over different things, that can stem from pride. Like pride is this, this nasty thing that just creeps its way into so many different areas of our life. So this week I want to talk about another thing that I believe uh, causes us to follow Jesus with a different level of commitment than some of the other followers around the world. Alright, so like some of the things that, other things we've discussed, uh, they aren't all bad. They aren't necessarily our fault. 
but we, we still should feel like tension of how these things hinder us from following God. All of this should create tension in our life. We should always be asking that question, like, how can I be living this out better? What should I be changing in my life to live this out in a better way, in a way that is more committed to Jesus? And if we don't feel tension in our life surrounding this, there's a good chance that we have become complacent and potentially apathetic in, in following Jesus. If you don't feel tension of trying to work this out. All right, so I want us today just to kind of be open-minded, to allow God to speak to us, and, and just to make sure that our, our attitude and our mindset are in the right place so that we can hear from him and be challenged. So if you are willing and if you're able, would you stand with me? I want to read through um, part of Luke 14 here. So going to be starting in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. It's a hard passage. Let's pray. God, we just pray that, uh, Lord, as we dive into this today and we begin to ask some of these questions and we wrestle with this tension, Lord, that, that we would come out the other side in a place where we don't necessarily have to have all the answers. But God, we want to be drawn closer to you. And we want to, we want to increase the level of commitment that we have um, of just putting you first in our lives. So Lord, help us as we do that today. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. There was something this past week uh, called the State of the Union Address. All right, and there's something about politics, and it isn't unique to a specific party or person, but really everyone in politics is always trying to shed themselves and their party in the best light possible. Right, like whether you watched the one this time or you know previous years or previous administrations, like nobody gets up and says, "Well, here's all the ways that we fell short." They're like, "All right, look at all of our accomplishments that they that we've done." All right, doesn't matter who the president is. Like uh, they want they want to show all the areas that they think are best while minimizing areas where they might be falling short. Uh, we want to make it look like we are doing as good of a job as we possibly can. Now, they're hoping by doing this, of course, is that, that more people would vote for them, that more people would get on board with what they're doing. And this passage that we read today, imagine, imagine this being Jesus' like, campaign speech. Like, just like, think about this. He's, he's walking and he turns to this crowd behind him. He says, hey, if you vote for me, if I get put in charge, here's what it means for you. You're voting to lose your homes and families. 
You're asking for higher taxes and lower wages. You're deciding in favor of losing all you love best. All right, so, so come on, who's on my side? Like, you, you could imagine you're sitting there and you're like, that was terrible. I, I'm not excited about this. All right, like, I don't think you'd get many followers, many donors, if that's kind of like your campaign speech. All right, but I, I want us to take a different way of looking at this with how Jesus says this to them. All right, and, and for some people that have walked away from God or chosen to not follow Jesus, like, uh, this is what they see and they don't want it. They see that, well, I have to give up everything. I have to stop doing this. I have to do all these different things. And they don't want that. But, but let me reframe this for us here. Instead of, of putting him in the lens of a politician who is trying to get followers and support, uh, let's look at this differently. Let's, let's think of, of an explorer who is leading a world-changing expedition. All right, that is like forging a path through the mountains to bring life-saving medical supplies to a village that is cut off. Okay, so like basically Balto. All right, anyone else grow up? I love Balto. Sorry. You guys don't, apparently. Go home and watch it. All right, like you're, you're trying to go to this village that's way off, and you know what? We're going we're gonna to bring these supplies there. We're going to make a difference. And, and, and the, the leader of the expedition gets up and says, if you want to come any further, you'll have to leave your packs behind. From here on out, the path is too steep to carry all of that. You probably won't find it again. It's, it's going to be lost. And you'd better send your last postcards home because this is a dangerous route and it's very likely that several of us won't make it back. That is a different feel, doesn't it? For some people, you hear a challenge like that with this like potential life-changing result at the end and, and it charges you up. And you want to be part of that. You want to make a difference in this world. So what's the difference between these two scenarios? Well, with a politician, you are trying to elect someone to do things for you. To make your life better. It's all kind of inward focused. With the explorer, you are signing up to do something big for other people. The focus is outward. The focus is on the mission of what you have to accomplish. And Jesus is saying, like, there's a cost to following him. But there's a mission at hand. There's something uh, that will happen. There, there's a reward at the end of this. And, and we want to push forward whatever the cost may be. Some of this is a cost that you have to pay. And some is just a cost that you have to be willing to pay. We don't always have to pay all of the costs, but are you willing to if you were asked? For Americans that choose to follow Jesus, there seems to be uh, a difference on how easy or hard it is to follow Jesus, partly based uh, on if you're in a family that is also making the same decision or not. All right, like if you're in a family that everybody's excited about God and going to church and, and growing in this, like that makes it a lot easier to make the decision. But if you're the first person and, the other, and everyone else in your family doesn't want to do that, if you're a teenager and you're like the only one that's coming, if, if you're, you're somebody that like your spouse doesn't want to come, you have to drag them here, you know, like all these things, that makes it a lot harder to follow Jesus. Because it's easier to follow Jesus if, if other people that you're close to are making that same decision. There's like this strength in numbers. All right, it's, it's harder if you're the only one. Now, understand this. I'm going to kind of lay out a few different statements here that are going to go on the screen. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Uh, but I want us to kind of just get these into our head here. So the first one is this. Uh, the true cost that someone pays to follow Jesus 
is different from person to person. Now, the cost that you are asked to be willing to pay is the same. But the things that you are actually going to have to pay to follow Jesus, they're different from you and the person next to you. It doesn't matter if they're in the same family. It doesn't matter if they're your twin. Like, it's going to be different. You have different lives, different experiences, different things are going to happen. Now, this isn't really fair, but it's true. The cost for you isn't the same as the person next to you, all right? Now, here's the second thing. The cost for the average American to follow Jesus is substantially less than most other people in the world. It just is. We are, we are asked to be willing to pay the same, but it's different. Why is that? Well, it has to do with the list of things that we've talked about each week here. Like, does it cost you your freedom to follow Jesus? No, it doesn't. Does it cost you your family to follow Jesus? Usually no, at least not in the same way. You know, some of these people around the world, when they follow Jesus, they are, they are completely cut off and disowned by their family. Potentially even, their family wants to kill them to remove the shame that they are bringing on their family. Like, it's a different level, a different cost. Does it cost you your safety to follow Jesus? No, not really. Do you, do you have to give up all of your belongings to follow Jesus? Not really. Like, again, we live in a place where we can kind of just add it on to our life. Are you rejected by society for following Jesus? Not really. Like maybe there are a few areas that um, you feel a little bit more pressure because you don't believe the same as other people and uh, maybe you kind of feel tension in that. But you are not just a complete outcast from society in the same way that, that you would be in other places. So are we thankful for all the freedoms and things that we have? Absolutely. Are they bad? Not inherently. Does it change what the cost is? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those things change the cost that it is to follow Jesus. Now, why does that matter? Well, for the most part, the less we pay for something, the less we value it. I mean, think about that. If I eat at McDonald's and I get full before I'm done eating, I don't really have an issue with throwing the rest away. All right. Friday night, Emily and I went to a restaurant in St. Joseph's called Crew. We got a gift card like two years ago when we finally used it. And I'll tell you what, like it's an amazing restaurant. The food is incredible. Uh, it, it's a little spendy and I'm really glad I had a gift card. Because <laughs> I don't think we would have been able to like afford what, what that food was. But there was a moment where I was full and I knew I was full and I knew I should be done eating. But I'm looking at that dish and I'm thinking about the price tag in my head, and I'm like, I gotta finish this. Like, if I'm gonna pay that money for this dish, like, I am not sending that back to the kitchen. You know, when the waitress comes in, are you done with this? No, absolutely not. Like, when this is licked clean and it looks like you just washed it, I'm done with it. Like, because I'm gonna get my value out of this meal. Now, actually, McDonald's is basically just as expensive as anywhere else anymore. I don't know if you've realized that, but especially when you have kids. Like, you cannot get out of there for less than, I don't know, $50. But uh, I think this goes with almost anything. Like, uh, when Emily had to start driving in our each-way commuting, we decided we didn't want to be putting those miles on a vehicle that we had spent more money on. Instead, we wanted to go and buy more, like, I don't want to say a junker, but something that basically would get her there and back, but we didn't feel bad putting a bunch of miles on it. 
Because, again, that, that value that's there, you don't want to use that up. Okay, if I'm going to paint a house, I don't go and put a suit on. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go paint in my nicest clothes here that cost a lot of money. No, what do you do? You go and find that, like, free T-shirt that you got from some, like, team building, some company, some exercise, and it smells bad, and there's an awkward hole in the armpit that shows way more skin than it should, but you're like, this is what I'm going to wear while I'm painting. Because if I get paint on it, if I ruin it, I don't really care. Because I don't value it because it was free. In general, the more we spend on something, the more we tend to value it. This is the, the last point there that I'm going to put up there that I want you guys to kind of write down if you're taking notes. The more we spend on something, the more we tend to value it. Now, there are things that are different in this. You know, a lot of that has more to do with nostalgia than anything. Every one of us probably has something in your life that you did not spend a dime on. It was given to you by somebody and you value it with so much uh, of just everything you are. You're like, I don't ever want this. If the house is burning down, that's the thing I'm grabbing. But in general, the more you spend on something, the more we tend to value it. All right, like, I'm not eating as many eggs for breakfast as what we once did. Okay? I like eggs, but those things are expensive. Uh, I saw someone a, a little while ago that had this post, and it said, um, back in my day, there was so much toilet paper and eggs that we would throw them at the house of our enemies. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, I, I don't think that, that cops are dealing with people TPing houses and egging houses right now because it's just not worth it. All right? When it's easy to come by, when it doesn't cost you a lot, you are more likely to let it go or even throw it away. So transfer this over to what we've been talking about, and you can probably see the problem. The fact that it costs us less to follow Jesus means that we might begin to value it less than what someone else would who has paid a higher price. And if we value it less, we're probably going to be quicker to get rid of it. And if we start to feel pressure from family, we might throw the towel in. And if we're getting grief from friends or coworkers for what we believe or how we choose to live this out, we are quicker to cave under that pressure. If our calendar gets hectic, if we're running out of time, we can quickly gain a couple hours more on the weekend by just not going to church. It just doesn't take that much pressure for us to walk away when we haven't spent as much. And if we haven't actually invested that much to begin with, like it just, what it takes to push us away is, is just hardly anything. Now this is just based off the idea that it's cheaper in America to follow Jesus. Like I, I don't have to pay the same cost as others. Uh, I think there's a second part to this that has made it even worse in America. All right, and, and I really, I'm going to lay the blame of it at the feet of pastors and the American church. Okay? Uh, I'm not even laying this at, uh, blame on anybody else, uh, but a group that I am absolutely part of. Okay? Uh, and here's what I mean. Not only is it just cheaper, like we understand that, but American church culture, evangelistic, uh, evangelical leaders, pastors, have in ways made it appear even cheaper than what it is. Some of this has played out in, in the way that we represent what it means to become a Christian and what that looks like. 
All right, we, we have simplified the steps and often walk people through a decision uh, during like what we would call, you know, an altar call. Okay, and I want to walk through this. I was going to go through some of the history of it, but I really just kind of decided last night, I, I deleted a bunch of that and said that I feel like that's distracting uh, from, from what we're doing. All right, and, and understand this, I am in no way like opposed to the idea of an, an altar call. An altar call is just simply an opportunity at the end of a service or something for someone to actually make a decision. Like, I want to make this decision to follow Jesus. I want to make a decision to give this up. That, that is a great thing, actually. All right? Uh, but I think what has happened is that the way that we wanted people to respond, um, and this is a newer thing in the last couple hundred years, like, we have made it easier and easier and easier. And, and I think it came about for good reasons, and it used to be something that, like, it took a little bit of guts to do and kind of stand up and do that. But I think it, it kind of went from, like, hey, uh, stand up, come forward, walk down to the front, pray with someone down here. They're going to ask you about your life, and they're gonna, you're going to walk through this with them. There's going to be this amazing moment where you, you can make a decision about life change. And I don't know when this happened or, or why or any of that, because I think a lot of this was with good intentions. But over the years, it seems like things have become easier and easier. You know what? You, don't, you, you can walk down front, but we're not going to make you talk to an individual person. Instead, the person on the stage is just going to lead you in something. Okay? You don't have to share what's going on in your life. You know what? Actually, uh, you don't have to walk down front. Let's just do this. How about just, just raise your hands at the end of a service, okay? because then you can stay in your seat. Actually, you know what? That might be intimidating. Hey, everybody else, you guys close your eyes. Okay, now raise your hands. Uh, That's still a little intimidating. Let's just do this. Okay, just where you're at. You don't need to do anything. Just just pray this prayer with me right now. Uh, You know what? I don't think you're going to pray this out loud. Okay, just think this in your head as I pray it. Again, I'm not trying to harp on the idea of an altar call and that life change moment, but do we see how over time, I think with good intentions of wanting more people to have access to Jesus, we have decreased the cost over and over and over. And that, that's a pretty small thing, the cost of standing up and walking forward versus staying in your seat. All that is is a little bit of intimidation, maybe Maybe you feel embarrassed or something like that. that. That's a small cost. But you can see how we've taken something and we've discounted it even more. I was talking with uh, Paul Zinter this week and he kind of said this phrase. He said, easy in, easy out. If it's really easy to get into this, it's really easy to get out of it. I think the other side you know, moving beyond the kind of the altar call thing. Like, I, I think there's so much that we've done in the American church to make this just too easy in a way. You know, we have this, this culture of kind of like the uh, consumer Christianity where it's like, okay, we want, to, we want to see more numbers. We want to see more people walk through the door. We want to see more people, you know, that we can mark down as, as being saved. So you, you know what you do? If you aren't seeing the numbers you want, then you decrease the cost. And then you get more people involved. And so it's like, hey, you know what? Just, just come to our church. All you have to do is just come and sit here. And if you're not entertained, then that's our fault and we better step up our game. You know, you don't have to commit to anything. You don't have to be part of anything. You don't have to serve in any way. It, it, just come. Just come. Because we, we've been so focused on probably the wrong metrics in some of this. That we, we have taken something that in America is already, it doesn't cost us much. And instead, we, we've just brought it down, 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 down. 
And this lack of commitment and responsibility, like, it's just, there isn't that same commitment and responsibility that I think there once was to join a church. And in many ways, like I said, this is, this is the fault of pastors. This is the fault of churches. This is the fault of, like, um, the people that should be leading us, leading you in a better way. Now, my hope is, is this, that, that you maybe feel a little bit of tension in some of this. Uh, that, that my, I would even hope that you think that I'm getting maybe too aggressive on this. Um, good, because I, I want us to feel the tension. All right, if I swing too far, it's because I want us to feel this. It, if we think we don't need to have some level of commitment to be part of a church community, we are not understanding what it really means to be part of the family of God. We have missed something massive. Because when we read through the early church and what Jesus said, that is not at all what it looks like. When the only cost to follow Jesus is repeating a prayer that someone else says, we might not be representing the reality of what it costs to follow Jesus. All right, now, here's where some of this tension might come in. You might be sitting here saying, but salvation is a free gift. And I agree with that statement. But understand, we have to hold that statement of salvation as a free gift at the same time that we hold the fact that Jesus himself, in the passage we read today, says, count the cost. How can something be free and have a cost? And this is something that we have to have tension over, that we have to hold this and say, okay, what does that mean then? And I, I think this is important for us to try and find that balance. Because we can't, you know, supposedly give our life over to Jesus and then not follow him. Like, that doesn't work. And I think we often try and separate out this idea of, like, salvation versus discipleship, sanctification, whatever you want to call it, like the process of continuing to move down that road. And we want to say, like, this is one event that you can do. And then, hey, after you do that, if you want, you know, that's like Salvation 101. Okay, well, here's 201 over here. You can get involved in this and start doing these things. Or you can choose not to. It's kind of an elective. That, that's not at all how it is. Like when we read the Bible, we do not see that. This is one and the same. There's, there's not these two separate steps that is part of it. And I think that pastors, in an honest attempt of trying to get as many people to follow Jesus as possible, which is a good thing, it's a good motivation, might have mistakenly taken the already low cost of following Jesus in America and essentially put it on the clearance rack. And we only value the clearance rack for the good deal that it is. I will buy things off a clearance rack that I do not need because it's such a good deal. And I think we've taken this, this walk with Jesus and we've done a little bit of that same thing. So the potential result of this type of faith is that the value is so low that at the first sign of distress or trouble, we abandon it. Think of it this way. A car is considered totaled when the cost to repair it outweighs the actual cost of the car. So if you have a beater car that's worth about $1,000, most engine work, your car is totaled. You're going to spend more to get that engine fixed than what the value of the car is. Okay, I've seen some cars out there that when it comes time to get an oil change, it could be considered totaled. 
because it is not worth the $80 that you're going to pay for an oil change. Like, there are just some things that the cost is incredibly low. For some Americans, the cost to follow Jesus is so low that any amount of work that they have to put in to maintain their relationship with him is more than the initial cost. And one bad day totals their walk with God. For some Christians, the simple work of maintaining a relationship with him is more work than they're willing to pay. And it reaches the point where that relationship with God isn't even worth the two hours, maybe once a month, that they were giving it. And they're like, yeah, I just don't see the value. I don't think it's even worth that. I'd rather have my weekend back. And the reality is that might not actually even be their fault. As much as a pastor or a church has led them astray by saying, following Jesus is simple and it doesn't cost you anything. So here's where I want to go. This is kind of where we're closing. Would you stand with me kind of across the room? As, as I have a couple questions that I want to just pose to us for us to think about. If you're taking notes still, keep that notebook close. Here's, here's the first question that I have for us. How much has it cost you to follow Jesus? Like in all honesty right now, think about this. Think about the decision that you've made and what, what has basically come of it, the, the life changes that maybe you've had to make or you haven't made, the things you've given up. What has it cost you to follow Jesus? And I, I know that for me, the cost has been far less than what most people around the world are probably paying. Remember at the beginning today, we said this, this is not about, when we even think about that cost, it's not about a politician, it's about the explorer. It's about this expedition that we're going on, this mission that we have. Are we willing to pay it to focus beyond ourselves? And if you feel like you're getting the short end of the stick when Jesus asks you to give up everything, like maybe you need to rethink the lens in which you're seeing Jesus through. All right, Jesus lays out a pretty high bar for following him. I want to read the beginning of that passage we read today again. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Like, is Jesus number one in your life? And everything else is such a distant number two. That's what he's kind of saying here. By comparison, you should hate your family. Now, Jesus obviously is not saying that you should hate your family. Like, that's just not words that you'd use. But, but in the Greek here, this word that, he, that is translated into hate, it has this comparison to it. Like, there should be such a gap between where Jesus stands and everything else in our life that if we were to compare that to other things, that large of a gap would be like, I like this, I hate that, because it's that big of a gap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, uh, a German Lutheran pastor and theologian. Uh, ultimately, he was imprisoned by the Nazis in 1943, and then he was hanged as the Nazi regime was, was actually crumbling in 1945. 
And it was because of his accused part of a, a plot to assassinate Hitler. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer is somebody that, uh, an amazing theologian that most people would just say like, wow, like the way that he lived. And, and I want to share some of his quotes that he has from a book that he wrote in 1937. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. And he says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Like, that's the understanding that he had. When I'm called by Jesus, he's calling me to come and give my life, which he ended up doing. He also says this in the book. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Like right there, I think we can feel this idea that the people push back against this like works-based faith. There's nothing we can do to be made right. There's, there's no amount of good deeds we can do to be saved. But if you truly have handed your life over to Jesus, if you've given him everything, then there better be these types of good deeds in your life. Otherwise, you have not given him everything. And it's this tension that we have to hold between faith and works in our salvation. I want to read this. We've kind of been reading from some of these books each week. This is from, uh, it's from one of the missionaries that, that uh, I'm just trying to think of how much I can even share. I'm not even going to share the country that they're in. Um, the name, if, if you want to know it, you can come up and look at the book afterwards. Um, but this person is in probably one of the hardest, most dangerous countries in the world. And he's just taken a journal every single day um, of what he sees God doing and working through. And he's talking about what it looks like to have a team of missionaries. And how do you keep culture with your team? Now, it sounds weird, but he says this, defending team culture from external attacks, outside attacks. He says, these are actually easier than internal division. When under threat from authorities or radicals, stay calm and don't overreact. Trust Jesus. He is sovereign. Stay theological and don't get emotional. Suffering is normal. We were appointed to this, and this has been granted to us on behalf of Christ. Model well to the MBBs and live up to what the Bible says. MBBs, uh, Muslim background believer. The people that have given their life to Jesus. He says, you need to model this for them. The Bible says, and to what you ask them to do. Call the team together and pray. Mobilize your prayer partners. Review contingency plans. But stay in country if you can. If you need to send short-termers or families out, that is fine. He says in parentheses, because if the husband father has been abducted or being held, it helps him to know his wife and kids are safely out of the country and that any lies that are told to them by the authorities uh, aren't, going to, aren't going to impact them. I think we should stay in the country, even if it means prison or death. How can we teach MBBs to shine for Jesus in persecution if we flee the country every time there is trouble? Remember, you are being watched by many sets of eyes. I'm not there in my faith. And I want that to change. 
Now, some of it is that is not a cost that on a daily basis I'm, I'm asked to give, that I'm asked to pay. But I want to know that I would be willing if I were asked. So my final question for us today is this. What will it take for you to value your allegiance to God higher than anything else in life? And I specifically use the phrase allegiance because when, when you have the idea of allegiance, that's something that you can be called on in a moment. If you have allegiance to something, they can say, hey, I need help. I need you here. And that allegiance will say yes. It's not just this like one time like belief or faith. It's, it's something that goes deeper than that. So what is it going to take for me to value my allegiance to God higher than anything else in life? And I don't think this is just going to be an easy decision that I can just make one day. I think this is a process, but I want to start this process. And each one of the weeks of this series, it hasn't been about coming up with answers. I don't think there's a good answer to the originally posed question of why my life looks so different, my faith looks different, my walk looks different. But I think there's a lot of these pieces that play together in this. And I think that this is one of them. My pride adds to that tension. The cost that I have had to pay or lack thereof to follow Jesus adds to this tension. Where am I slacking off when it comes to being formed like Christ? Where am I settling with just being lazy and not giving it my all? What am I unwilling to give up in pursuit of Jesus? All right, like I don't want to be a discount disciple that isn't willing to pay the actual cost. I'm going to close this in prayer, but I want this just to kind of sit on us this week. I want this heaviness, this tension to be something that we wrestle with. That's what this series has been about. It's not about answers and telling us how to make everything work. It's about where am I falling short and what tension am I feeling in that and how can I begin to change that? So I want you just to pray with me as we close. Jesus, forgive me for the ways that I have ignored the true cost of following you. Forgive me for the times that I have not been willing to pay even just a little bit more when hardly anything is being asked of me. God, I pray that for every single one of us in this room, that, that this would just begin a process of us taking this a little bit more seriously and asking, what is the cost? What should the cost be? What things have I held back? What areas am I hanging on to and I'm not willing to give them to you? God, and the reality is that you aren't even asking us to, to pay all of these things. You're just asking us to be willing and God, I, I want to be willing. Help me in that. God, I pray for, for just our church and our community here that this would be something that would, that would make a difference. It would challenge us. It would change us. God, that we would live our lives differently this week. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.